<coughs> anyway, <coughs> Leviticus chapter 10. Oh, for anybody watching, we're going to start the trail of blood this afternoon at 2 o'clock. We're teaching on the trail of blood. I don't claim to be an expert, but I have studied it for a long time. And I think I, if you want to know anything, I think I can help you with it. Leviticus chapter 10. And Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, took either of them his censer and put fire therein and put incense thereon and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. Now, I don't know what the strange fire was. I have an idea, but I don't know for sure what it was. At any rate, this strange fire did not please God. It was something other than God had commanded. And if you're going to serve God, you have to do it his way. Amen. And there went out fire from the Lord. Now, how long much time passed? Doesn't look to me like much time passed at all. There went out fire from the Lord and devoured them. That is, Nadab and Abihu. Hmm. And they died before the Lord. Now, was this a sin unto death? Or was it just absolute the wrath of God? I kind of think it's wrath of God. I don't have any, any idea that those two were saved. And only a saved person can commit the sin unto death. Then Moses said unto Aaron, not saying your poor boys, I'm sympathizing with you on your, your poor boys. <laughs> Say a word about that. He said, this is it that the Lord spake saying, I will be sanctified in them that come near me. And before all the people, I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. He didn't say, Lord, why would you do this? He knew better. He held his peace. Save time, look down at verse, verse 8. And the Lord spake unto Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine nor strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when you go into the tabernacle of the con congregation, Lest ye die, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. Now, my opinion is that this is what Nadab and Abihu did. They got drunk on the, on the sacrificial wine and went in to make the offerings before the Lord. It looks to me like very, very likely because right in this context is when he puts down his commandment. Do not drink wine nor strong drink. Did they have fermented wine in the tabernacle? Yes, they did. They had it for the drink offerings because that was what they used. In the fourth part of a hen, they had that fermented alcoholic content wine and every morning for the morning burnt offering and every evening for the evening burnt offering, the high priest poured that wine out on the sacrifice and then it all became a smell of a sweet savor in the nostrils of God. And there was Jesus Christ crucified amongst them every morning and night plus all the other offerings. Jesus said, Psalm 75, David said, in his hand, there's a cup. And he'll pour out, he'll drink all of it. And to be poured out, even the dregs, the bitters, 
stuff at the bottom, saying that that cup symbolized the wrath of God being poured out on his only begotten son. I wouldn't mess with anybody to try to contradict that. Anyway, those guys, Nadab and Abihu, just like Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they got to messing in the tabernacle in the house of God, messing with the women and the liquor and the alcohol. And they, and they all died. God killed them all. Well, that's just going to lead us into our message. Now go to chapter 16. And the Lord spake unto Moses. Oh, I put it up on my Facebook page. Years ago, all oh, back in the early 1900s, I don't know what date, 20s, 1920 or something, they were in Chicago, all of these theologians were, and the great discipline of textual criticism was getting going. And all of these educated guys were taking their, all of the parchments and all of the bits and pieces of scripture that they had, plus the three major ones, text, and examining all of them and beginning to deny much of the Bible because of that. And evidently, they were really hitting the doctrine of the mosaic authorship of the Pentateuch. I want you all to know what that means. Mosaic means Moses. Authored, wrote the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. That's the truth. All of your liberals... We'll try to deny that, and they'll bring up a lot of stuff. John Broadus was president of the Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville at that time, and they were still reasonably sound then. But he's well known for his scholarship. He wrote one of the best commentaries on the book of Matthew, on the Gospel of Matthew. Anyway, well-schooled, well-educated man, and he was a reasonable Baptist. They said, well, Dr. Broadus is here. Let's hear from him. And so he stood up, and they gave him a big clap, round of applause. He talked to them. Some things is good. But here's all he said to all of them. He said he raised his right fist. Moses wrote of me. And that was rebuked to every one of them. Moses wrote of me is what Jesus said 
They all knew what he was saying. Look what he says here in verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses. Jesus said, Moses wrote of me. You may just well get comfortable with this. This is going to be all about Jesus. <laughs> That's pretty good so far, isn't it? Okay. After the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. We just read that in chapter 10. And the Lord said unto Moses again, <laughs> Speak unto Aaron thy brother that he come not at all, not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat. That's the holy place. Which is upon the mercy seat, which is upon the ark. That he die not. For I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. You can't do it just any time. There's only the prescribed time that God gives them. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with the young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh and shall be girded with a linen girdle and with the linen mitre shall he be attired. These are holy garments, therefore shall he wash his flesh in water and so put them on. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Now, he's instructing Aaron how to come before the Lord in the Holy, holy of Holies. Well, this Day of Atonement is what it's called. In modern days, it's called Yom Kippur. It's on the 10th day of Tishri. We had another month, this bull, didn't we, a while ago, Brother Tim? The month bull, bull, B-U-L. This is the month Tishri. Well, it'd be between September and October on our calendar. Our calendars are different than the Jewish calendar. Now, their calendar's not holy. They've got one month, Tamus. Uh, so their, their calendar's not holy. And it wouldn't help us at all to try to use the Jewish calendar. It's good to know it because of the difference between their dates and our dates. They help us to know about when the approximation of when they were. Here's one thing I want you to understand. What well, all this is telling us above everything else is that there is no approach to God after the fall but only one way. Amen. Hold your place there and look at Hebrews chapter 9. Now, I've preached this before, but never like this. Hebrews chapter 9.
Look at verse 20. Saying, this is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. Now we'll be seeing some of that back here in Leviticus 16. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. Now almost all things are purged by the law. I think what he's referring to there is there was no sacrifice made for the sin of presumption. And I think that's what he's referring to, almost. I think that's what, what he refers to. The sin of, here, here folks, listen to this. The sin of presumption is knowing that God said don't do it and you do it anyway. That's the sin of presumption. Everybody ought to listen to that. You know God says don't do it and you do it anyway. That's the sin of presumption. And even back then, there wasn't any sacrifice made for that sin. There was a sacrifice made for the sins of ignorance. But not for the sin of presumption. All right, now let's go on. Verse 23, it was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these. The pattern, not in the heavens, but the pattern. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. That would be the tabernacle and the temple, which are the figures of the true. So if you remember the tabernacle and all of the furnishings and everything, and the temple, we talked about the temple this morning, all of that, that's just a figure of the real thing. It's not the real thing, all right? Some of these guys want to make, a, make an issue. They just keep on. They won't shut their mouths about it. Oh, we're not under the law. We never were under the law, you ninny. To be saved by it? No one's ever been under the law to be saved by it. The, under the, the law is to show us what sin is. Convict us of sin. Sin is the transgression of the law. And you've got to know the law to know what sin is. Well, you think this whole world, they don't even think there is sin. Well, nobody's ever been saved by the law. But the law is still perfect and good. For it says Christ, let's see, verse 25. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as a high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself, and as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. <clears throat> so, all this, it's about Christ. It is all a symbol or a figure of what Christ has actually done in behalf of his people. And so, when you see the high priest, you see what he's doing, 
Everything applies to Jesus Christ and his one offering. Okay? Now look what we're getting to now. We got uh, two kids. Those are young goats, baby goats. Some people get mad, or they used to, if you call their children kids. Oh, my boo, my child's not a goat. Well, the words have, have evolved. Kids, everybody uses the word kids. They don't mean baby goats, but that's what it meant here. Uh, kids, I don't believe you're baby goats. For a sin offering, two kids of the goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. So, well, now you've got a lot of things going on here. Yes, we certainly do. We've got a high priest. We've got a young bullock and a ram. We've got two kids and we've got a ram. Every bit of that refers to Christ. Reflects what Christ has done. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself. Aaron has to offer blood to atone for his own sins. Yeah. He's a high priest. Huh. I'll tell you something. If the high priest got to do everybody else does. And make an atonement for himself and for his house. That's his family. And he shall take the two goats, no kids, goats, and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. So there he's got the two goats there to present them before the Lord. And here Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Now, the one, lo uh, the one goat for the Lord, that is going to die. And the scapegoat is going to be led out into the wilderness. Both of them symbolize the one offering of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, and Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on, the, on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. All right, so... One goat dies, the other one, after the high priest works on him, is led out into the wilderness and let go. Now, they both show us what Christ did in the one offering. Now, let me go on and read a little bit. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off, off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And before he could go into the Holy of Holies, he had to fill it, with the smoke of the incense. And that incense had to be made according to God's prescription, his, his uh, 
recipe and couldn't be used anywhere else. If you tried to use it anywhere else, you'd die. It was God's, and that's the way all of God's service is. God commands his service. If you love me, Jesus said, keep my commandments. You don't have a plethora of various ways to serve the Lord. You can only serve him according to his scripture. And so, verse 12, 13, he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense uh, may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. So even the high priest couldn't look head on at the mercy seat and the cherubims and all of that. He couldn't see everything in the ceiling. He had to go in there practically blind. And nobody else could see it either. The Catholics try to justify their idolatry by, quote, bringing this up. Well, you know, all you have to do is just read the scripture and you know how much they're lying. The people didn't see all these things. Neither did the high priest. Anyway, verse 14, he used to take of the blood of the bullock and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward. And before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle the blood with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring his blood within the veil. Now that was the blood of the bullock. But why do you have to put it on the offer of the furniture, furnishings in the tabernacle? Why? Because they had been touched by man. You say, well, boy, you messed that up. Hey, we mess up everything we touch because we're full of sin. And the proof of that is here that it all had to be atoned for. Of course, it didn't get the job done. It had to be done every year up until when Christ fulfilled it all. Got it done once for all. Verse 15. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering? Uh, well, let's see, verse 16. He shall make an atonement for the holy place. Well, the holy place. Well, it's holy. No. Well, it is holy for the use of it. But when, you, when it's touched by people, that's why this church building is not holy. It's set aside for the Lord's use, but it's not holy. No material thing is holy, especially something that's been touched by man, by human beings. Because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, they were the children of God. And because of their transgressions and all their sins, and so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Verse 17, And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place until he come out and have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. No man. Now, I don't get run out of time. That scapegoat, now that word, English word scapegoat, the first time that was used was by William Tyndale in the early 1500s. How many of you knew that? Anyway, we've used, we use the word scapegoat 
in all walks of life now. But that word was brought into existence by William Tyndale, who translated the Bible that became the King James translation. They just finished up what they killed him before he could do. They burned him at the stake. But anyway, the name, the word behind scapegoat in the Hebrew, you can look it up on the uh, sword search. If you see the English letters of it, Azazel. Or some say Azazel, which is more English for us. Now from that, that so-called Apostles' Creed, not the Apostles' Doctrine, the Apostles' Creed, says that Jesus, when he died on the cross, went to hell to finish paying for our sins. I knew of an independent Baptist preacher that got to preaching that. And I wouldn't let him preach it here. I mean, he, he tried to, and I rebuked him. He's gone. He's gone now. I think he knows better. But here's what they teach, and there's a lot of them that do it. That our sins were paid for by Christ on the cross, but he had to pay a debt to the devil. And they use that term, Azazel. But the truth of the matter is, it is not the word for the devil. It is a word for the hairy one. The goat. And that word, Azazel, means to be led away. The hairy one to be led away. When you think about a goat, what's he got on his chin? Isn't it a beard? If you look at that, I don't want you to, but if you've ever seen it, that goat of Mendez in the five-pointed star for Satanism, there's that goat with that. The word for, word for goat is a hairy one. They have adapted that to use that for Satan. Not here. That word for scapegoat, Azazel, means a hairy one that was led away, which is exactly what happened to the scapegoat. And that's why William Tyndale put that word there in the English. That's what it means. Because Satanists have have cabbaged on it and everybody else is trying to take it and make heresy with it. Let me make you a, a point right here. Verse 17 says, uh, verse, and there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation. Here's what I want to state. This whole transaction of the redemption of God's people is completely accomplished within the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. 
There was no man in the tabernacle. The high priest, there's Jesus. The blood of the Lord's goat, there's Jesus. The goat that was to be led away, there's Jesus. The fit man that led him, there was Jesus. Look quickly at Hebrews 1, 3. Referring to Jesus Christ, his son, God who at sundry time, verse 1, in divers manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being, now see that who, the antecedent of that is the son, Jesus Christ, who being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. And then look at uh, 1 Peter real quick. First Peter two My scripture wasn't there because I was in Second Peter. Okay. Talking about Christ, verse twenty three. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously, that is God the Father, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, and that tree is the cross, that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. I don't know how those wholeness mixed that in Isaiah 53. That's exactly where he's quoting from. Where by him bearing our sins in his own body on the tree, that's by his whose stripes you were healed. For you were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. And I said to that fellow, No, friend, Jesus did not go to hell when he died on the cross. And pay anything to anybody. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. <coughs> and nothing or no one else had any part of that transaction. It was 100% lock, stock, and barrel in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's where our redemption is. No Campbellite came and baptized you and took away your sins. He may say he does, but he's lying. It just doesn't happen. It says Aaron was to be alone. 
He was to have no aid. He was to have no sub-priest to help him. He was alone. And there is the whole transaction of the redemption of our sins. Now, let's go on. Verse 20. And when he hath made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel. Underline all. Each time all is used, underline it. Now we know what happened to the blood of the Lord's goat. Now this is the scapegoat. The high priest puts his both hands on the head of that goat. And in a picture, in a symbol, he transfers all of the sins of all of the children of Israel onto the head of that goat. Well, and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. Now some people try to say that was a mountain. Uh, try to say that's he's going to pay a debt to Satan. No, 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 no. That's not what he has done. Now the fit man, the fit man, he fits the situation. He has to be a fit man. Doesn't say, but the fit man is the Lord. Amen. The scapegoat is the Lord. The Lord's goat is the Lord. The high priest is the Lord. And anything else you can find in the tabernacle, it's the Lord. He's the mercy seat. <laughs> anyway. Now, verse 22 is the result of the sacrifice of the Lord's goat in verse 15. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. Now, real quick, let's do this. Let's look at Psalm 103. Now, this is to show you what's going on with the scapegoat that's being led out to a land not inhabited in the wilderness and let go. They never see that goat again. Nobody does. And I don't believe in all the wilderness wanderings of the children of Israel. I don't believe that they ever stumbled upon a little pile of bones that belonged to that scapegoat. I don't think anybody ever saw any piece of that scapegoat again. And here's why. Psalm 103 and verse 12. <coughs> As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. 
Now we're talking about if you're saved, just where are your sins? Well, you could say they're in a land not inhabited. They're as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? You never get to it. And then look at Isaiah 38. Verse 17, Behold, for peace, I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Where are your sins? Well, they're in a land not inhabited. They're wherever east, west, far, you can't get there. And they're behind the back of God. Look at chapter 43. Verse 25. I, even I, am he that blotted out, blotted out thy transgressions for mine own sake. <laughs> And will not remember thy sins. Look at Jeremiah 31. I'll be there in just a minute. Jeremiah 31. Verse 34. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Now, go back to Leviticus 16. I'm going to go ahead and finish this up. Verse 23, And Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation, shall put off the linen garments. Now notice, he had, had to take off his high priest garments and put on linen, plain, off-white linen, even the linen miter, barefoot and those linen garments. You don't come before God with all your royalty on. And so put off the, the linen garments which you put on when he went into the holy place, shall leave them there. He shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place and put on his garments and come forth. See, the, the Old Testament puts a lot of Stock in cleanliness, washing your flesh and taking care of your food and all that. Anyway, 
and offers, listen, the burnt offering of the people make an atonement for himself and for the people and the fat of the sin offering shall he burn upon the altar. And he that let go this goat for the scapegoat shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water and afterward come into the camp. Now I contend that they did not see the fit man until 72 hours afterwards. Because there's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When they saw the fit man coming back, there was Jesus Christ arising from the dead. And the bullock for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make, in to make atonement in the holy place, shall one carry forth without the camp, and they shall burn in the fire their skins and their flesh and their dung. All of those things were burnt outside the camp. And he that burneth them shall wash his clothes and bathe his flesh in water. And afterward he shall come into the camp. And this shall be a statute forever unto you that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls. And see, there, there will be repentance afflicting your souls. Not, not a time of joy, it's a time of affliction. Uh, and do no work at all whether it be one of your own country or a stranger that sojourneth among you. For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you, and you shall afflict your souls by statute forever. And the priest whom he shall anoint, and whom he shall consecrate to minister in the priest's office, in his father's stead shall make the atonement and shall put on the linen clothes, even the holy garments. And he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary. He shall make an atonement for the tabernacle of the congregation. And for the altar, he shall make an atonement for the priest, for all the people of the congregation. And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you to make an atonement for the children of Israel, for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord God commanded Moses. But they had to do it every year. Because that covered, but it didn't redeem them. It didn't actually satisfy the justice of Almighty God. But it was a picture of it. And they had to do this by faith. And if they offered this in faith, it did accomplish some things for them. It didn't ultimately save them. Nobody's ever been saved apart from the redemption of Jesus Christ. Nobody has ever been saved. has been saved apart from that. But this had to be done every, day, every year. Until the Lamb of God came, which would be 1,500 years after this. And John the Baptist saw him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He didn't take away all the sin of all the people. Of all of his people. Jew and Gentile alike. That's what he meant by that. In no way did, did he die for everybody. There wouldn't be any need for hell if he did. If it was his will for everybody to be saved, they'd all be saved. But his people are saved. And we say, now just what part of this the proceedings of this day, the day of atonement. What part of it did not apply to Jesus Christ? 
No, it all is. He's all. He said, I'm the Alpha and Omega. Not that I can add anything to my Lord. But I'll say this. He's the Alpha and the Omega and everything in between. <laughs> he filleth up the fullness of the Godhead bodily in his, in his body. So, he redeemed us alone. It was all in the Godhead. Nobody had a part of it. And this, and he did not pay anything to sin.